May you delight in the law of the Lord. Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. And we are continuing in what now is about, well, excluding our summertime off. We began at the beginning of the year talking about the wisdom of the Proverbs. And so I want to talk today about the wise parent. And we've talked about wise parenting. It's been a long series, and we keep coming back to pieces of it. So I want to give you just a little overview before I narrow in on a parent um, instructing and teaching guidelines. How does a parent instruct or teach for behavioral change? So wise parenting, three concepts of wise parenting teaching the guidelines, reiterating the guidelines, and enforcing the guidelines. We talked about four kinds of parents, the permissive, the authoritarian, the uninvolved, and the authoritative. So then we talked about how we get children to listen to us, to take our instruction, what does the scripture say about the importance of our responding to instruction, and that a wise person is regularly looking to instruction. Uh, in Proverbs 12 and 5, he says, the foolish person does not listen, but the wise person listens for instruction because he or she knows there is something that he or she needs. We've talked about teaching for appropriate behavior, um, informing for improper behavior, explaining negative consequences. We've talked about warnings and corporal punishment, how we get to the place of the wise parent who is encouraging and informing. Abigail Adams, who was the president's wife, Adam, um, John Adams' wife, she said, learning is not attained by chance. It must be sought with ardor and attended to with diligence. I'm going to say that to you again, because I think from my seat in watching parents and our culture, we are not taking Abigail who was one of the founding presidents of our country's wife, to heart. Learning is not attained by chance. Learning is not attained by chance. Like I'm going to walk through a room and learning is going to jump on me and say, oh, oh, there comes a willing candidate for learning. No, it is not attained by chance. It must be sought for. And then not only sought for, but sought for with ardor and attended to with diligence. Now, in early childhood, that work must be done by mothers, fathers, teachers, parenting. In the very earliest part of your children's lives, it is done by you. I want to say, mamas and papas, with the strongest voice I can say, these children God gave you because he trusted you 
to teach and train them to grow up to be individuals who could choose him and choose to live a, a life of responsibility and bringing pleasure to God. That doesn't happen by osmosis. And if your lives are so busy that you're just getting through the details of changing the diaper and cooking the food and cleaning the house, and there isn't earnest, honest, as Abigail said, ardor attended to with diligence, teaching, then your children cannot have a chance of learning how to learn. And, and so many times we hear this, what they learn between zero and five years old are the most important. 75% of everything you know in life you learn between zero and five. Obviously that's not facts. But the most important thing about that zero to five statistic is that between zero and five, they learn how to learn. Let me say that again. They learn how to learn. They learn that learning is important. And they learn how to do it with diligence. You do not go to school and, and not listen and not study and then pass your exam on Friday. You do not go into life without listening and learning and, and pass your exam for the entrance into life. Paul Wagner, who I've been referring to in this Wise Parenting course, describes this wonderful scenario, and he had two sons. Paul's not a very tall man, and um, one of his sons is relatively tall, but that Paul at an early age wanted to teach the boys how to play basketball, I think is kind of humorous because, as I said, Paul's not a tall man. But he said the first time he goes out with a basketball, he thinks his child wants to play chase with him, like they're chasing each other around the ball. And he says, what is wrong with him? Does he not know we're going to pick up the ball and we're going to throw the ball? And we're going to throw it toward the basket. He said, the second time I go and I realize, okay, I've got to tell him chasing the ball is a part of it, but getting the ball in your hand and throwing it to the basket is a part of it. He said, the third time I took him out, I realized he wasn't interested at all in this game because he didn't understand the concept. And so I had to go back to ground one and begin to show him and teach him how this process went, dribbling throwing, basketball through the basket, scoring. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was a great illustration. But it's like driving a car. My 12-year-old grandson is very interested in driving a car. Of course he is. Boys in cars, I guess everybody in cars particularly. But you do not learn to drive a car and get a car. You have to learn how to drive a car slowly and carefully and repeatedly. And then you have to take a course. And then if you want to get a good insurance, you have to... Well, we have the power to learn how to learn. And about things we're really interested in, like driving, we, we learn a lot easier. So I wanted to suggest to you that in this teaching process instruction, uh, teaching guidelines to your children, that you set them up for success. And I've told the story many times that I took Anissa into the bathroom with all she needed to learn how to wash a mirror. She's about nine years old. And I give her the three simple tools, and you can watch our YouTube about how to wash a window, okay? But I give her these tools, and I say, blah, 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 blah. okay, I'll be back. And I leave. I did not set her up for success. She did not know how to do it. 
When I got back, she was in a puddle, crying and moaning and complaining, and I was now annoyed with her. No, should have been annoyed with myself. And, and I realized I hadn't given her the guidelines, what she needed to be successful and to learn how to do this. So a wise parent acts as a teacher. Kids don't gravitate to good behavior naturally, do they? And when we're teaching them about good behavior, we have to understand that there are three main ingredients. One, we must state our expectations. I expect you to be quiet in church. We must be encouraging and we must be the model ourselves. When you tell a child, be quiet in church, and then you talk in church, you have just confused him. You've not given him an authentic approach. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, clining your heart for understanding, if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then in the next chapter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, happy are those who find wisdom and those who get understanding. For her income is better than silver and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you can desire can compare with her. So start early. Now, let me say start early, start early. Recognize that just getting through the day with a clean diaper and feeding a child is not the instruction and the teaching that a child learns to live and to behave properly. Start early, but let me add quickly, it is never too late to teach a child. It is never too late to learn as an adult. It is never too late to recognize that we are learning and should be looking forward to learning until the day we die, to learning something new, to adding to our knowledge. So start early. Are you screaming? And you're screaming to them and you're saying to them, stop screaming? If a child is screaming, your approach is use your words. Use your words. How many words does your child have? Screaming is not the answer. You have to teach them that screaming is not the answer and using words is the answer. Hitting is going on between your children. You want to change, train them for the behavior of not hitting or biting or having fights, physical fights. So instead of saying, don't hit, we say, be gentle with your hands. Be gentle with your hands. Give them choices. Be prepared yourself that you can give them choices. One of the easiest things to do is turn on the television, isn't it? Yes, and you can learn some things from the television, but it's always just easy to turn on the television. I'm suggesting to you that in teaching and training, you are prepared so that you would say, here are your options. Would you like to read a book or would you like to color? Would you like to color or would you like to play with Play-Doh? TV's not an option. So that TV doesn't become the first thing you let them 
do or the first thing they want to do. Kids love screens and kids love screens today and there are far more screens. When I was raising a child, the only screen there was was the TV and we still gave away that too much. But there are phones and computers and Kindles and so many ways to learn and don't misunderstanding, the screen is a good way to learn. My granddaughter is learning Spanish on the screen through the Rosetta Stone way. The screen says it, the screen repeats it, the screen shows pictures. She's learning and she's learning quite well. But screens are not the only thing, so her mom has to be prepared. And her teachers are helping her as well. When a child is a teen, you'll be saying, show me some responsibility about what time you're coming home. Show me just how responsible you are. Do you need to give them a curfew? My daughter never had a curfew. She never had a curfew. We said to her, you want to be responsible? You want to be treated responsibly? You show us just how responsible you are by what time you're coming home. She became, she became the more curfew watcher than we did. <clears throat> Mom, I'll be home at 11. Mom, I should be home by 1130. Mom, I won't be home before past midnight. Mom, it's midnight. Dad, I might be home later. And, this process was put in her hands, her, her responsibilities. It's easy to be discouraged with our kids. And then when we get discouraged, we show them our discouragement by not uh, speaking to them in a way that's educational or informative. You better stop that right now. No. No, stop. No, no, you can't do that. Before you know it, you are saying no, 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 no. You're saying no, no, no a thousand times more than you want to be saying no. No should be used less than more. And I have this little psychologist who spent several days in the back of the classroom with stopwatches. They were carefully observing the behavior of both the children and the teacher. Every 10 seconds, they recorded on their pads how many children were out of their seats. On average, some children were standing, you ready for this? 360 times in every 20-minute period. And the teacher said, sit down, seven times in every 20-minute period. The psychologist suggested that she consciously increase the number of times she commanded them to sit down and see what would happen. So in the next few days, according to the observers, she yelled, sit down, on average, 27.5 times per 20 minutes. Did that change the children's behavior? It did not. Indeed it did. They were out of their seats 540 times per period, an increase of 50%. Here's the kicker. For the final week, the researchers asked the teacher to refrain from yelling, sit down, and instead quietly compliment children who were staying in their seats and doing their work. The result? The roaming about decreased by 33% the best behavior of the entire experiment. So what is the good golden rule? Whenever you can, say yes. Whenever you can, say yes. And guide them into doing something that would 
keep you from saying, no, stop it. You can't. If you don't quit doing that, that only reinforces the behavior of which they are already doing. There is power in a sense of encouragement and options. And this is a way to train, to give instruction for good behavior. Many years ago, my husband and I wrote a piece of poetry, which I like very much, and I hope you like it. I think it's available as a free resource on the website. If it isn't, we'll make sure it comes up in our new um, launch uh, under library resources. It's titled, Who Holds the Heart of This Home? I'm going to end our time together with it. There is a wonderful place, a space so secure and warm, that all who care are privileged to live there and call it home. Who holds the heart of this home? The walls are colored with laughter and the floor with wall-to-wall memories. Each space testifies to the bustling energy and joy of blended lives. Who holds the heart of this home? It's more than an address or a statement of achievement and style. It is a tender oasis from the storms of daily life, a place of peace and rest. Cheerleaders for life dwell here, as do living testimonies for faith. Imperfect saints work out the walk of wisdom in the halls of this home. Who holds the heart of this home? For every damaged day and sharp defeat, home is the balm for the wound. For every cutting word and ungracious event, home is the kindness we crave. And every bad memory of family and childhood is swallowed in the embrace of a now happy home. The time for forgiveness and healing is here in the sanctuary of home. Who holds the heart of this home? So those who build a home instead of a house, a deliberate and prayer-laced place, rather than a sterile designer's delight, do well. Who holds the heart of this home? You, Mama, Papa, hold the heart of your home and the heart of the education of your children. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day of training and instructing your children for good behavior. 